Are you looking for a memorable getaway for your family that's packed with adventure? Look no further than Lake Erie. Powderhook, in partnership with the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, has all the resources you need to plan your adventure to the walleye capital of the world. The best part is, you don't have to be an experienced angler or own a boat to have a fantastic time on the water. While walleye are the main attraction, Lake Erie also offers excellent fishing for yellow perch, trout, steelhead, salmon, and bass. The options are endless, and there's so much to explore on Lake Erie. Knowledgeable and friendly fishing guides are eager to serve you. Whether you want to hire a charter, secure a seat on a headboat, fish from the shore, ice fish, or do a DIY trip on your own boat. All these options are at your disposal with a bit of planning and preparation. Find everything you need at powderhook.com. That's powderhook.com. We know what's biting and can help you enjoy a wonderful fishing experience on Lake Erie. Hey, it's Captain Justin Leet with Chasing the Sun TV. Join me and Meredith for the best fish in action along the coast of Panama City Beach. Tune in to new episodes every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. River Rats, you are listening to the River Certified Podcast with Spencer Bauer and Ryan Tassler and an array of guests where we cover the fun, interesting, and sometimes rugged parts of spending life on or near the water. I'm going to start this off with a story that I never thought I'd tell. Well, that sounds like a good start. I mean, it might be. (laughs) I was, all right, it starts off like any other day. I was fishing the other day. (laughs) <laughs> and I made a cast, and the, since the waters came up, there's a lot of flooded vegetation. It's yep. just starting to die. And my lure got hung up in some gunk, basically what it's become on the bottom. And a largemouth comes out of nowhere. No. Oh. No. Uh, that would have been way cooler. <laughs> Even a largemouth would have been way cooler than this. Uh, but I pull the gunk in, and I take it off of my jig. And as I'm taking it off of my jig... I notice like a little stringy piece off of it, and I grab it with my other hand and pull it off, and it is a human hair <laughs> wrapped up in this gunk that I snagged on the bottom. One, disgusting. Two, what's the odds? Yeah, absolutely. So, Jeff, I'm going to start you off with the toughest question I could think of. Okay. And I haven't told you this one. That's fine. So you just got to be ready. <laughs> Who is the most hardcore fisherman on the fisheries biology staff i'm gonna say oh man i put you on the spot hard it it (laughs) is it is hard because um i'm gonna say it's jason eukner okay i think so what's he good at fishing for is he he a bass guy he's a a bass tournament guy? guy yep yeah he's a bass tournament guy and we've got like three or four guys that have fished numerous bass tournaments mm-hmm. um jason grew up in in cedar falls and and he fished with a bass club out of there and he's he doesn't really fish bass tournaments so much anymore mm-hmm. but he lives here names and he'll he'll go up and and fish the river pool nine pool ten up gotcha. in there and, gotcha. and he's he's pretty hardcore um mark flaming fishes a lot and I listened to one of his podcasts, and I got that gist that he yeah that he's yeah. pretty big into the hybrid fishing down south. Well, it's just taken off on yeah. you know, and he fished a lot before, but boy, now that now that those hybrids are just smoking mm-hmm. hot. Um, and I forgot to tell you the one rule of the podcast. <laughs> okay, we don't name bodies of water. 
Yeah, I you know I heard that. But yeah, I'm not. I'm the originator of you, that. How about better or worse? How about worse? So do I have to abide by that rule? If you tell me to abide by that rule, I will. Uh, we'll just we we'll just edit it out. Yeah. If okay. not, yeah. All right. Um, Chris Larson is our uh, supervisor down in Southwest Iowa, mm-hmm. and he is a hardcore pan, panfish angler. Gotcha. Um, now you had two Chris Larsons, the one up we in did. Decora. We yeah. did and, retired and retired Chris uh, was quietly very quiet. I mean, there's a lot of folks that talk a lot about their fishing. I, I'm aware of oddly, I'm aware of Chris's fishing ability, Northeast Iowa. Chris, um, yeah. I have a friend who fishes with him regularly before and still does. And anybody who fishes with Rob generally knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. He he would. He wouldn't talk much about it, but those he, are the best guys. He was, he was <laughs> like a hell of an angler. If you brag yeah. about it, uh, anybody who's t- telling me about how big a fish they're catching, my first thought is, "Are you really catching those?" Or yeah. I catch fish here every time, which in my mind means I caught fish here twice, so that means every <laughs> time. But no, Chris was a uh, family friend of mine growing okay. up. He he came from Jefferson. Have you seen his fish from. carvings? Or his lure carvings? Yeah. I, well, oh, my god. Yeah, and that's what he did. He makes his own lures and then goes out and catches muskie and walleye yes. and yeah. everything with him. Wait, yeah. he hand carves his own crankbaits and stuff like that? M- more like l- muskie lures. Like, okay. Yeah. Like a, a northern hog sucker lure that's, you know, this uh-huh. the, <laughs> the size of a very large cigar. <laughs> but he's the guy that when coyote populations were very low, like back in the 80s, early 90s, he'd uh, take his skis out after a snow uh-huh. and he'd ski out along the fence lines and shoot coyotes that's dedicated yeah. well what is, what is it with the jefferson guys being dedicated uh predator hunters <laughs> well well because not mean, much else to do buddy. well <laughs> yeah you, you can you can there's places to fish there but there's so many guys who are big into shooting coyotes and trapping and like, I grew up in southern Iowa, and you'd think that'd be Hillbilly Central, or everybody would want to do that. And they do, but they'd prefer to run them with dogs instead yep. of, like, calling them or trapping them and stuff like that. Because Dan, Dan... Uh, Towers. Yeah, he's huge into hunting. Yes, he loves Predators. It. And he goes out to Nebraska quite a bit. And, do you and know Dan? Out there. The name is familiar. Was he, he was, like, county he was conservation the, board yeah, guy? Yeah, yep. yep. he just yep. retired last year as well. Yeah. So. So. I had him in the classroom a few times when when I was teaching, and he has so many stories. Yeah, like, and he's so knowledgeable. I really enjoyed enjoyed having him in there. Yeah. I'll throw out uh, Jonathan Meerbeek. Okay. He, he he's our research biologist up at Okaboji, and gotcha. he goes okay. and fishes tournaments in Minnesota. He's a bass guy. Uh, Chris Mack, who's our fisheries technician over at Lake McBride. Mm-hmm. He's a really, yeah. really good angler. And uh, Kirk Hansen over on the Mississippi River. He's, he's really, So there's really a pile too. of dudes who like to there fish. There are. There are. Because yeah. sometimes I think people get the impression that if you study fish, you don't actually fish. And then sometimes you're like, what you want isn't always matched up with the public. Right, right. Which, so it's which funny. I get that. You oh. know, I'm an electrician and... When I get off work, everybody wants me to do side jobs, and that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> right, right. So I want to go there, but um, it's interesting. I was listening to you guys' podcast with Outdoors Dan, the last one, mm-hmm. and uh, you were talking about when you're you know sitting in the turkey blind that you're thinking about the crappies and everything. Else. Oh yeah, and that's me. I in yeah. fact, so you when, were a poor turkey hunter as well. I I am, <laughs> I am such a poor turkey hunter that I don't do it because wow. I sit there and I say. It's going to be nice tomorrow. Do I want to 
go turkey hunting or do I want to fish? Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's never, a no-brainer. It's, yeah. it's never <laughs> turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. It is always, I want to go catch crappies. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, I want to go catch crappies. Now, with my life where I'm at right now, with my kids and everything, <laughs> I don't get to go fishing right. nearly as much <laughs> right. as I want to. But The want is still there. The just want the necessity. Is, absolutely. The time. Absolutely. It is amazing. So my brother and sister-in-law, so my, their, their kids, my nephews, they, uh, they're last couple years they've gotten into sports and it becomes year round all encompassing and it's mm-hmm. just amazing that they have time to do anything oh yeah. yeah yep at least at least you only have to drive one of them around or two 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 of them around i have to drive two of them around the yeah. third one can drive herself but yeah. she's gonna play two sports in college so i mean it is year round for yeah. us she's yeah you'll be traveling a lot more yeah well, take a fishing yeah. pole. Yeah, take a fishing pole. <laughs> take a fishing pole. <laughs> There's always time between games, usually. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so it's interesting. You you mentioned that you're an electrician. Yeah. So uh, I I wear a lot of hats for the Iowa DNR, and one of them is that like whenever we do surveys and things like that, um, I oversee that kind of work. Like our annual trout ang- or our every five year trout angler survey, our every ten year uh, statewide angler survey. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we really didn't have a good handle on until the last survey, we had some ideas, but it's like, who are the people that buy fishing licenses? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so the last time we asked that question, we 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 did the survey. We asked the question, "What is your vocation?" kind mm-hmm. of type question. Yeah. And blue collar. Um, electricians, plumbers, carpenters, etc. Mm-hmm. Number one, number one yeah, buyers of fishing by license. Far. And so the interesting thing, because we always knew that our fishing license sales kind of cycled with the economy, mm-hmm. yeah. but it was actually a counter cycle. When housing starts go up, fishing license sales go down. Really? Yeah, yeah. And and in a lot of times, and so the flip side then too, unemployment goes up. And, you know, fishing license sales kind of thing. Hmm. And, and, you know, we always wanted to say that it was unemployment. And, oh, people are doing this cheap thing, you know. Now, in reality, since it's, um, it's blue-collar construction-type jobs that buy fishing licenses, when housing starts are going crazy and you're working overtime and everything yeah. else, you don't have time to go fishing and that's our fishing true. license sales take a dive. That and makes and sense. I absolutely yeah. think that that's the driver. I never would have put two and two together on that. Yeah. That's it, I really think I'm, you know, we've done the research. I've done the, I've done the looking into it, and absolutely, that's one of the big deals. Now this year we're gonna have garbage fishing license sales because our fishing license sales also track significantly with the weather. It's the weather and the economy. Mm. Yeah. And you know, when we have a really cruddy spring, we have really cruddy fishing license yeah. sales. That's interesting. I've never <laughs> thought about those. Yeah. I did have a sim- a thought along the same vein. I've noticed that the amount of beer I purchase has went up with the amount. A podcast I participated. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> that, that is, is a direct correlation. Yes. Yeah, there's a case in the in the cooler right now. But we're I don't go, even think we need to do any research. We're going to go like, fishing a, tonight. So if I started drinking at one o'clock in the afternoon, I wouldn't make it to happy hour. So I just left. I'd it in the carry. Truck. <laughs> Good for you. Good I'd, for you. I'd carry uh, along. Don't worry. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with Ryan and then Jeff Kapaska, right? Yep. And you are a biometrician for the Iowa DNR. That's correct. We have one biometrician in wildlife, and I'm the fisheries biometrician. Okay. And literally, when I found out about you, when I listened to Kit and Grandy's podcast, and you said you were a biometrician, I'd never heard that word in my life. I like biomagician, too. <laughs> I can dig that one. 
So, but what is it? Like, I've, I, I have a science background, quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> fishery statistician. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's the... But how's that any different than any other fisheries biologist? Because every biologist is dealing with data. They are. They are. It's uh, kind of my deal is if you're going to do a study, whatever, I make sure that the study design is is appropriate for what you're trying to get at the end. So you're collecting the data, the sampling design, the data that you collect, and the statistical methods that you intend to use to figure out whether what you're doing works so your or not. Conclusions so, proven instead of Right, right. So so is the is the design of the whole thing appropriate for what you're trying to determine? So that's part of my job. The other part of my job is um, not necessarily the the biometrician part, but I do a lot of uh, technology type technology transfer type things. Mm-hmm. So um, like your database you were talking right, about? Right. The databases, I oversee all of our databases, mm-hmm. um, design most of them, and uh, we're working on a thing right now we've been doing the last couple of years where we have stopped collecting data on paper for the most part, and we've got yeah. it all where we're collecting the data on tablets out in the field, and then it Which immediately... Is yeah, yeah. It's a huge time saver for our staff. Yeah. Um, so all of that uh, happens just like instantaneously they get back to the office they hit sync it goes up into the cloud and as soon as the you know usually it's a technician that's out collecting the data the biologist takes a look if there's no outliers anything like that they approve it and the public can see it as soon as it's approved it used to be you know we might do a sample in may it might get the paper entered into the desktop computer in November, December, so the the public might not see it right right so we're really improving that that's cool. So since you have to sign off on all research projects, does that make you the boss? No, I don't have to sign off on all of them. I well, simply that's what say, it sounded like. No, you had to, well, there, yeah. you had to a, give your There's blessing. a couple bosses above me. I just try and help them make sure that they're, that they're designed well. Gotcha. And you there's know, seven. It's a checks and balances thing. Is Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, for something like that, I think a good idea. Absolutely. Well, so throughout Iowa, there's like seven different bases of the research uh, research yes we've got uh, we've got a Mississippi River research team we've got an inland streams research team uh, we've got a large reservoirs research team we've got an aquaculture research team we've got a uh, natural lakes research team a small impoundments research team and then I am the technology and data management research team nice what's the aquaculture in Iowa so we have a number of fish hatcheries in the state of Iowa. We right. have uh, mm-hmm. Fairport, Rathbun, Mount Air. I was thinking of like commercial aquaculture. Is that no, a, is ours that... is all what what we do inside our hatcheries oh, okay. to make ourselves more efficient and effective. Gotcha. And that's exactly nice. what our research teams. You know, you when you think about research, a lot of times you think about you know the people in the lab doing all the DNA and all that kind of stuff. The Iowa DNR research teams is um, individuals who are looking at management problems to try to improve the management of our fisheries. You know, what is the problems the managers have? What is going on in Don Williams or Aquabi or mm-hmm. where Big Creek? Yeah. You know, we've got a big research project that we've been doing on Big Creek and Brushy Creek for a number of years. Oh, yeah. And, and that is a management issue. Fish were leaving the lake. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. how do we yeah. deal with that? And how do we prove that the management action that we have taken mm-hmm. is effective? So I can prove it at Brushy because we used to have some good nights 
down at the spillway, and now we do not. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you know, it's not that hard to say, well, duh, you put the barrier up there in the fish But day. there's a but, possibility of variables that are not within your scope. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you Like have, maybe it's sucked down there because we haven't had much rain, but some, any like random jackass would look at it and be like, well, there's that barrier up there. Or I, yeah. Anyway, that, that's the concept that's totally ass backwards, but right. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And so our job is to make sure that we are appropriately utilizing the public dollars that the public has, has, has spent, you know, buying Mm -hmm. your fishing licenses, Mm -hmm. et cetera, and that we are using those dollars appropriately. And if we're going to undertake activities like that are expensive, like stocking muskies, like stocking wall, how much does like, each muskie cost? Over a dollar. So a buck a muskie, and how many are stocked? I don't know. And and trust me, my dollar is not... There's a better number that right. I can get you. <laughs> right. That's off the top of my head, and yes. I might be wrong. Okay. Yeah. Um, I well over well over a thousand muskies a year. Okay, I mean, nice. and and I think it's way higher than that. It, I would, I was assuming like fifty thousand or something like. No, that. because so here's the deal with our muskies: we grow them for over a year. So like oh. the spawn happened a and couple they gotta weeks be ago. More than a buck, right? They That's are a year and a half. I know, and maybe it's twelve bucks. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay, but so we hatch them in in. Um, may up in spirit lake Mm -hmm. and then we grow them in spirit lake like over the summer Mm -hmm. and then we move them down to rathbun and grow them still over the winter and feeding them minnows and stuff like that and then we stock them like 13 months later so end of may beginning of june so it's it's a long process so So, why do you transport them around is it just because of like available resources at different facilities right right and the growing season is longer at rathbun Mm -hmm. and you know like so our facilities up at spirit lake we really don't have something that's not gonna freeze solid gotcha Uh, Mm -hmm. so down at rathbun we have a number of we have indoor raceways we have outdoor circular ponds we have outdoor big lined ponds Mm -hmm. you know an acre in size or whatever and so we can put them in one of those that's continuous flowing water and they'll be fine and we can feed them minnows and they'll continue to grow the big reason why we keep them that long is the research that we've done in the past that says if you stock them at you know six inches or eight inches or whatever they are at year one end of year one they are food the success rate goes yeah. down. Yeah. Well, wasn't there something yeah. similar with walleyes? Too? Absolutely. Yeah. When we used mm-hmm. to stock them at six inches, you're just putting food out there for the other predators. Right. You need to get them above the gape size for the majority of the so predators that are out. for me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that varies depending on which system you put them in, yeah. too. So yeah. like what we've seen with our river systems is you put them in at two inches, mm-hmm. and they're perfectly fine as long as the conditions, as long as the water's up a little bit, some of those flooded vegetation things that you're talking about, which is the more natural habitat for them. Like after the spawn, they go up in the spring. That's the kind of, um, situation that they, they evolved in and developed in. And, you know, that's where they want to be and they grow really well. And if it's too turbid, then we don't do as well. And Mm. if it's too much flow. Is turbid an issue with like ability to feed? To a degree. Yep. Yep. And, you know, gill erosion, stuff like that too, that's unhealthy for them. From all the sediment? Yep. I guess I never even considered that. Are they yeah. more like are they more likely to be affected by that walleyes versus other species or are all species pretty You know, sedimentation is a big, big problem here in Iowa um, and it and might be the number one. It it yeah. most likely is. It's not the most um 
talked about. But in reality, in terms, especially in terms of fish I, habitat, I don't know how to step around that topic because when you talk about that, you talk about not big pharma, but just big farm. You know, right? Yeah. But let this is an interesting topic. It's one that I've done a lot of work on. Okay, then I'll let you. You've already tiptoed around it, so <laughs> right? No, and, and, and I'm more than happy to talk about it. There's, it's interesting. Um, the most, and, and you're going to wonder what the hell is he doing. Um, I'll just keep my mouth shut, believe it or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so the most famous Iowa artist is Grant Wood, you okay. know, American yeah. Gothic. We're all familiar with American Gothic. There's a couple of other um, paintings that he did back in the 1930s. One is called Young Corn, and the other is called like Fall Plowing. Okay. And what both of them show is back in the 1930s, the soil conservation was non-existent and all of the furrows went up and down the hill Mm -hmm. like this. So really from about 1860 to about 1930, we had this huge movement of soil from our hilltops in Iowa into our river valleys. Mm -hmm. I thought for a long, long time, because I'm a water guy, I drive along and I think to myself, why in the world is that stream cutting down? Why do we have all these banks, you know, bare stream banks? That's mm-hmm. horrible. Yes. Think about the erosion. Those stream bottoms are not cutting down. There is, you know, if we are up here on the Des Moines lobe, you know, this nice flat, highly agricultural area, that glacial, those glacial rocks that are at the bottom of all these streams and rivers, they haven't moved in a century. Yeah. The stream no, bottoms. Not a bit. The stream bottoms are where they were. What we see when we see all those bare stream banks is all of that topsoil from all the hilltops from 1860 to 1930 that got eroded into our river valleys. And we have, you know, two, four, six, eight, ten feet of sediment Mm -hmm. that is sitting there that is waiting for the natural erosion processes to go downstream. To shoot it, yeah. You know, so we've we know from some research done by other folks that like starting with the soil conservation in the 1930s the amount of suspended sediment in our water in our rivers has declined dramatically mm-hmm. and then it kind of went up a little bit in the in the 60s and 70s when we really intensified agriculture to the next degree after world war ii and then so our crp came along in 1980s and boom it really dropped and it stayed at what historically is a quite low level since mm-hmm. the 1980s. Yeah. But when we go out and see chocolate milk rivers and streams, we're like, oh, this is awful. That's better than it was. Okay. It's better than it was a century ago. It's still, it's not good, yeah. but it's there's still- There's progress being made. There's progress yes. being made. However, we're fighting a century and a half of all the sediment deposition in our river valleys. And we have these highly unstable systems, high flush rates, you know, a lot of tiling, things like that, mm-hmm. that move the water into our rivers and streams faster. And so without spending some time and resources to stabilize our stream banks, we're not going to see that reduction in sedimentation. Also, the, the greatest amount of phosphorus loss from any particular source in the state of Iowa is these stream banks. Okay. So if we're gonna, if we're going to make progress on our nutrient reduction strategy, where we want a forty-five percent reduction in nitrogen phosphorus loss from the state, mm-hmm. well, fifty percent of our phosphorus loss is from our stream banks. We huh. probably probably need to do something about our stream banks, yeah. and it's going to hugely benefit fish habitat 
that's the most important thing we could do for fish habitat. If mm-hmm. we want to improve fish populations in the state of Iowa, we got to deal with sediment. We got to deal with our stream banks. So as productive as our waters are from a biomass standpoint, because yep. like you sent me that article and it mentioned something like the possibility of four to 800 pounds of fish per surface acre yeah. potentially. Oh yeah. Uh, Up to a thousand. There you go. So if that were to happen, would that number increase? No, I don't. Or would it just change the it the, would, the population dynamics? Yes, it okay. would. It would change where we see that production happening. Okay. Um, you know, if we if we saw kind of a reduction in the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus, that might reduce our our productivity a little bit, mm-hmm. but not hugely. Mm-hmm. There's um, still a carrying capacity that right. once it's met, you can't well, climate, go above that ceiling. Yeah. Right. We have we have such a high productive ability here with our climate you know we're like in one of the world epicenters of productivity just because of the amount of water the amount of nutrients the amount of sunlight etc and so we're going to have highly productive lakes and rivers regardless just are they carp rivers (laughs) right or are they going to have more walleyes right or let's let's think about clear lake so back in the 1990s i was working at iowa state university and i was one of the team that authored the clear lake restoration plan okay so we did a whole bunch of work in the watershed. We did a whole bunch of work in Ventura Marsh. We did a whole bunch of dredging. In mm-hmm. the 90s and before and in the early 2000s, that was a very brown lake. Yeah. Okay? yeah. And it was a highly productive lake. It was a highly productive walleye fishery. Mm-hmm. Okay. That water has cleared, mm-hmm. you know, part of all these other things, part of the zebra mussels, whatever. But we went from a very brown and turbid system to a much clearer water. Now, not it's not, you know, beautiful, blue, deep West Okaboji Lake. Right. But, yeah. but it is drastically different than it was 20 years ago. And what we see now is we see instead of brown and green algae, we see a lot of rooted aquatic vegetation. Mm-hmm. Instead of just 400 pounds per acre of bullheads plus carp plus buffalo plus a pretty decent walleye fishery we now see giant bullheads in there they did (laughs) they did they did and now there's almost none well the flatheads might have impacted that the flatheads impacted it and 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 other things absolutely and we did put flatheads in there Mm -hmm. for that reason because they all go to town on bullheads but today go up there and catch 15 inch crappies Mm -hmm. catch beautiful smallmouth bass catch yellow perch which we they were always there but in really low numbers and Mm -hmm. now it's a really good perch fishery uh largemouth bass smallmouth bass still a good walleye population decent yellow um yellow bass but not Mm -hmm. the way not the crazy yellow bass that we would see a decade and and more ago yeah you know pretty good white bass fishery muskies muskies. i mean so we have seen a change in that system. The overall biomass in that system is very similar to what it was, you know, in at two in two thousand. But now it's a more preferable fishery. Absolutely. Yeah. So, are walleyes native in Central Iowa? Absolutely. Walleyes are native to our riverine systems. Okay. So, yeah. So, they uh, at one point in time they were able to reproduce in yep. our watersheds. And yes. Now they can't. I won't say they can't, but it, their success their success is, is very limited. They're not going to keep up with how many walleyes I like to eat. Correct. Okay. <laughs> that and that is why we invest in hatching walleyes in our hatcheries. Well, I have no I, no problem eating walleyes no matter where they came from. So, and <laughs> me I, either. I, I'm glad that they are stocked. But um, yes. 
kind of I was thinking about all that and it just led me down the direction of that topic that well I told you I wanted to cover but one thing I hear all the time is why don't we have like length limits or tighter regulations involving walleyes in central Iowa Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of our neighboring states do that have more productive walleye fisheries why does Iowa not go that route there's a couple of different reasons for that. And, you know, I, I kind of led into that a little bit mm-hmm. with the, the stuff I sent you. But let's start with... Nobody nobody else knows that right, with me. Not right. even Ryan. Ryan's in right. the dark in he this, He doesn't too. share. So let's, <laughs> I get busy, okay. <laughs> let's start with an overall perspective on what a, what a regulations book should be like. Yeah. Okay. So if you go to Wisconsin, there is a separate regulation on almost every water body and stretch of water body in the state of Wisconsin. And that, as an angler, if I'm going from this stretch to that stretch, I'm flowing down, I, I'm going down the, the Chippewa flowage or, or whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my regulation is different here than it was there. Yeah. That's confusing. That oh, is. Agreed. That and, and you go from one way, lake to another. You could make the argument that anybody who hunts or fishes on a regular basis has broken a law. And not even known it. Right. Sometimes it's hard not to. I mean, even, especially, yep. you know. Well, and you're, I'm assuming you're getting at how th- nice and thin our regulation book is. Yep. Our goal is to not over, unnecessarily over-regulate our constituents. And that, at times, is confusing enough. Like, I get tripped up on our bait regulations at mm-hmm. times, and I've sent many emails to whoever answers the emails at the dnr and just for clarification on different things yep but um going back to like database decision making is Mm -hmm. that something that uh the fisheries like anglers of iowa is that what they prefer is there data to support that that's what the anglers want or is that just an initiative that was came up by the administration that regulates? I think that's an historical perspective that we have stuck to for a long period of time. It's not something that we necessarily ask about a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the more recent um, regulation changes that we've made was the 25 fish bag limit on, on bluegills. There was a, a wonderful pushback from some people I knew on that. Yep, yep. That is a social regulation. Okay. That is a regulation that was pushed by anglers in certain areas of the state Mm -hmm. because they felt like other folks were coming in and taking their fish. Yeah. Okay. And um, so that was not data based. Like, how does that even make it through? Well, either the agency could make that change under influence from outside entities, Mm -hmm. or it could be regulated, or that regulation could be enacted by the legislature okay and and there because are a they lot want votes because they're getting influence yeah you know yeah. so the influence can either result in uh, a legislated change or it can result in the agency responding mm-hmm. and um you know, there's a lot of legislative push for agency actions, especially like in Minnesota, like you got to stock here, you got to stock it there, you got to do a lot of these different things, and 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 we as an agency, I, I don't know that I want to you know be speaking completely for the agency at this juncture, but mm-hmm. um, you know we we feel like that is an area that we 
even though it's a social regulation, and we will all say it's a social regulation, it's something that society asked for or a segment of the society asked for. And it was enough of a segment that we responded to that because mm-hmm. we yeah. we do feel that the regulations need to be originated from us because it, that's a really slippery slope to go oh. down if you, if it's if the regulations are enacted or by the science the and meets law is yep. going to be a slippery slope. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I want to get into the, I keep saying so. I need to quit that. Um, <laughs> well, <now> quit. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about the wanting to have a thinner regulation book. Mm-hmm. What about what I really want to know is the scientific reasons why we don't have those regulations, like those northern neighboring states. So I because th- logically it makes a lot of sense that if you were to let more walleyes go in this certain size range you're going to have more large walleyes or whatever if you're going to keep fewer of them then there's going to be more in the population and it makes sense logically okay that's not always reality that's not always reality no so let's uh we have a slot regulation up on the iowa great lakes and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that has uh i think this year also expanded to clear lake and storm lake yep um, so why do you why do you have a slot regulation? You have a slot because there's a reason to um, protect a certain portion of the fishery. So more productive. Well, those are our broodstock lakes. So we collect those adults so that we have the eggs mm-hmm. to raise more walleyes. So there mm-hmm. is a management reason to protect fish in that slot. We allow one fish over the slot, so if you catch a trophy, you can keep keep the trophy. Mm-hmm. Now, there can be kind of a population bottleneck below that. So if there are a lot of fish below that slot, then you want some of those removed so it, it allows there to be more forage. You know, yeah. So there's only a certain amount of food. And so if all of the fish are bottlenecked down below that, then they're just going to be stuck there and very few are going to break through into that next size group. So mm-hmm. then then you have you, a stunted scenario where nothing. That's right. That's right. Size. So you want in a situation like that, you want harvest below the slot. Okay. Now let's look at Lake Rathbun. There are people that would say we should have a slot at Lake Rathbun. Well, at Lake Rathbun, we do not have, it's not a system where we have high reproduction and, and a high number of fish coming into that fishery. Okay, even though we stock, it's not, you know, it's not hugely successful. That is not mm. where we have a problem. So you don't want to take a a slot limit where that's going to encourage harvest benefit. of a yeah. fi- of a yeah. portion of the fish population that is not that is not, you know, good enough to Exactly. To so that. you have to have an understanding of what is going on with that population in order to have a regulation that is beneficial to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were at Big Creek and we had that that 15-inch minimum, you know, every fish that was 14 and 3 quarters was getting popped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just that was what was happening yeah there was there just to add some evidence to what you're saying there was a day where i caught 55 walleyes out of that lake and the biggest one was 14 and a half inches <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely so if you've got a and and that's a system that we stock and so mm-hmm. if you've got a whole bunch of fish you know stuck right there that can be problematic. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe that minimum isn't exactly what we should be looking at. Right. And so, and if you drop it to fourteen, you know maybe you take home your limit, and so does 
30 other people that day for a couple years and then the next time i catch 55 and the biggest one's 13 and a half (laughs) right and then you start adding predators to take care of some of them little ones and well the predators are already there yeah yeah so what in order to make a change we need to have a really strong understanding of the parameters about a particular population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we what we do is we want to know what mortality is. So you get at mortality a couple of different ways. You look at the fish. So you got to go out, you got to sample well over 100, couple hundred fish. You want to know the length and weight and you want to be able to build kind of this this length weight regression and a and a length frequency histogram. How old, how long and how old are these fish? So then you're also taking the age structure. So either you're taking a spine or a scale or an otolith. So you look at how old is this fish mm-hmm. and how big is this fish? And so then you figure out what the growth is. And, you know, when you get to a certain point, then there aren't fish anymore. And you see how old is the oldest fish. Okay, mortality is occurring at such and such a time in this population naturally naturally yes then you also have to do a creel survey because you need to get a handle on exploitation how many fish are being harvested and removed from the system in that regard and so for us to amass the amount of data necessary to really get a handle on these two things you need to spend at least three years doing all of that work on the front end with the fish population monitoring so you're a few hundred fish every year you're spending the winter looking at you know a few hundred aging structures to figure Mm -hmm. out how old and and the length of of each fish in that population and you're hiring a summer creole person to look at and and not just summer but winter everything year round how many fish are being harvested you know, so this is a very significant investment of time and resource. But we are going to do that but, if we're going to change anything in regard to having enough data to change a regulation. Because we're going to have the science and the data to make a regulation change. But so th- then my, you have to take into account like extreme droughts, floods, yep. hard winters. You know, yep, that's going to affect above. all the populations as well. Yep. Well, I'm assuming you've already done these things to determine the regulation that's in, in place right now, though, right? The majority of the time, the answer is yes, especially if it is a recently changed regulation. Well, the Iowa, yeah. the central, the the Interior River walleye regulations have been that way for as long as I can remember. Correct, which means that we have not. Okay. And and here's the challenge with that. Okay, so I told you about so all of this data that we get, we put into a, a model, a well. Um, a well-researched fisheries modeling package of software that mm-hmm. that kind of has this nationwide um, utility and acceptance. It's it's gone through the the academic peer review process. This is how fishery systems work. Mm-hmm. Okay, in terms of being able to simulate in in the computer software arena, you know what's going on with that particular system. The stuff that we use is based on closed systems. So mm-hmm. it works in the, on a lake. Right. It does not necessarily as accurate, and, and the utility is not... Well, there's so many different versions st- of interior waterways. Exactly. You have interior waterways that are just a river. You have interior waterways yep. that are also comprised of a reservoir. You have interior yep. waterways that... 
like different stretch stretches of river have different yep. characteristics and the longitudinal longitudinal connectivity of those systems yep. is immense and creel studies on a river system would be nearly impossible they're not impossible but they're, they're really different. hard yeah they're really there's hard. a lot so, of accesses that right. you've got to have somebody man so well, it, but uh, but back to to this so our current regulations aren't founded on any research i wouldn't say that that's correct but i would say that they're they uh, if we haven't changed them they haven't undergone the scientific rigor mm-hmm. of what our more recent gotcha. changes have you been. haven't gotcha. found an, a scientific reason to change them correct so you'd leave them and so. we haven't had the we haven't had the push excuse me we haven't had the push to to really dive into that and figure out that something has to change so this yeah. ties in really well to that online walleye tournament which yep. if anybody is on hasn't heard of it on here there's a a tournament what's the do you what's the name of it iowa walleye challenge so we were talking about the difficulty of creole surveys people or iowa not even iowa residents just iowa anglers people who are in the state can sign up for this walleye tournament and uh, submit their catches that f- to the tournament and that data from those catches will basically be a digital creole survey that can um give you data to decide if a regulation or at least to decide if more research would be needed absolutely absolutely and not even the catch rates but also the blanks if you go out yes you go out the blank then that's that's almost just as important it is just as important it is and that's why that's why that's um incentivized in the tournament if you go out and you don't catch any fish there's an incentive every week in the weekly iteration of the tournament you didn't catch any fish you are eligible for this this hard luck prize yeah. kind of deal and it especially do you categorize it like this one person sent in five different surveys and if they blank all five times well maybe them maybe they suck at fish. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you are thrown out i i am not in charge of that statistics i'm not in charge stats of that. is really interesting because you would think there'd be all these exceptions but you can like quantify the problem i mean you know more than anybody in this room but quantify the probabilities of every single variable you can imagine yeah mm-hmm. if if the actual research is large enough right yeah, you gotta have a and big enough you gotta have a size. big sample yes. right if anybody listening to this doesn't like our current walleye regulations one of the best things you could do then is based fishing. on everything i'm hearing <laughs> is be a participant in this tournament absolutely be a data point yep. to determine if we need to go that route or not Right, and and not just if you don't if you do or don't like the regulations, but we stock walleyes in tons of locations mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. like I've I've said I said on Grandy and and fishing kits podcast. So it's so funny that Grandy and now you call him fishing kit, <laughs> like like that's his moniker now. <laughs> when people call me river certified, I'm like, bro, I got a name. <laughs> Usually jackass. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> I respond to all of them. <laughs> but anyway, so we, there's only so many of us in the fisheries, you know, fisheries bureau, Iowa yeah, DNR. There's yeah. 80 of us, whatever. And during, you know, that two-week time frame in April, we are at Okaboji Spirit Lake. We are at Storm Lake. We are at Clear Lake. We are at Rathbun. We're at Big Creek and Brushy Creek. That's that's it. And you're full. Then it's all ev- hands on deck. Yeah. Everybody is there. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is the time that the walleyes go shallow. Mm-hmm. It's the time they're susceptible to our nets. That's the time they're susceptible to our electrofishing. Mm-hmm. So if we want to know something about Lake McBride 
we're out of luck. Right. There's yeah. something we want to know about Little River. We ain't going to find it. And we're just talking Three about mile. lakes. Right. You know, yeah, like the you can't even too. get to all the yeah. lakes, no. let alone the rivers. Exactly. Yeah. So we know that our English want to catch walleyes. Yeah. We do all this work. We raise all these fish. We stock all these fish. We don't know what happens with those fish because we can't go out there and monitor those populations. Sure. Yeah. So do we hire a whole bunch more seasonal people to do that creel work? Because we still, like you say, it's really hard to do a creel on a river. Yes. It's really, really hard. We've done it certain places, but it's really hard. Right. Um, so this is like an experimental creel. Yeah. Will this work? You know, will our anglers so. work with us to so. get us some data so we can get a handle on, you know, what's going on with these populations? Because we want you to go fishing. And if you can help us, it may change our regulations. It may change our stocking decisions. It, we right. may need to put more fish certain places. In Green things County. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you ju- that's one of the really interesting things, though. Like Adair County. Their Adair County Conservation Board buys a bunch of walleyes every year, and all of the little water bodies in Adair County get stocked with walleyes. Really? So you and they're you go, big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might have sampled a few. <laughs> I will not say any water bodies, yeah. but there are some large walleyes in some small <laughs> right. lakes. That's awesome. Yes, that is we. Awesome. All right, I, I don't want to cut this conversation short where it's at because it's really interesting we don't have a ton of time because you're a busy man uh i want to dive into the flyheads yeah yep i'm just going to come out and say it we have a regulation where you can keep 15 catfish of any size any species per person which means in this room we could technically harvest and legally keep 45 100 pound catfish with a possession limit of 90 between all three of us mm-hmm. if we caught them yep what is the justification behind those regulations that is one of those regulations that has not changed for a very very long time okay now we um in the last decade or so and i, I maybe it's a little longer maybe not quite as long but we did do a really significant um, statewide a catfish assessment, our mm-hmm. interior rivers research team. I was out there. I was helping shock flatheads, stuff like that. And, and Anything that just blew your mind? Like, were, did you see a, a what would be a new state record? No, I never no. saw that. But, you know, it's when we're out electrofishing, I would say that the majority, like you were talking about on, on your podcast, a lot of those fish are hunkered down underneath big structure and you're talking you gotta you gotta hold that bait and tantalize them was your word get it as close as possible yep sometimes they're so tucked in you can't even get it there okay so let's think about that can't electrofish you cannot number one are electrofish that only goes about six feet deep yeah and then number two when we are when we are shocking flatheads we often have to utilize what we call a chase boat because they're they come up so much later than we actually shocked them that you know we're normally netting the fish right off the front of the boat yeah but uh, those fish will come up you know 20 30 yards behind you and it's the chase boat that sees sees the white belly and and goes and gets them Mm -hmm. okay so and that's one that are ones that are not 
deeply buried in that cover. There's probably a lot of fish that go belly up right against the log they were under. Right. They just sit there until, yep. until they come back to. And they're yep, absolutely. Like, what the hell just happened? So, you know, we also did, uh, you know, trot lines and things like that, but mm-hmm. to try and get a handle on those populations. But, but then what, you're fishing, and then that's there's so many other variables yep. that impact how many fish yep. you're sampling. Absolutely. Yeah. So what can I tell you? We didn't see that. We didn't see anything like that, at least not when I was along. Now, it wasn't my project, but, yeah. but it's really hard to get a handle on what those populations are. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that there's really strong populations. Mm-hmm. You know, Now, are there as many flatheads out there as there are channel kits? No, no, there's not. But, but that's not, ex- that's not, not the expected. same species. Yeah. No, you, know, you have no. an apex predator, and then you have whatever rung channel cats fit in underneath of that. Scavenger, exactly. I believe. Exactly. Well, they're they're omnivorous. <laughs> they you are. know, opportunistic. Yeah. But it, they're a, they're a significant predator in all of these systems. Yeah, no absolutely. question. But they are not. You know, they're not like a muskie. Nope. They're not like a flathead. Lake you know, trout. Like except, you could go on and on. Right. No. Right. In in the small farm ponds, it's a largemouth bass yeah. or, or a channel cat, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. But when we look at these interior river systems, when we look at, say, Sailorville Lake to what's the next, you know, that we've, we've well, to Fraser is one, you know, that's a continuous system. That's one Stretch. section. Yep. Yeah. I, yep. I just call them sections, yep. you know, from yeah. dam to dam, it's right. a section. So, and and the Fraser Dam is an impediment to upstream movement, but it's not. It is passable at times, mm-hmm. yeah. and so these populations are connected. And the population above Fraser can move downstream. So you mm-hmm. have this population in this river stretch that is pretty substantial. And if we go out now. I could never catch that many fish. I mean, there are there are those of you that are good catfish anglers that possibly could. I'm I am not that good, but even if we do catch a lot of fish from one location or a couple of locations within that, how many mile stretch is it? Forty, thirty, yeah, ish, ish. You know, I'm just ballparking. Right, forty ish. Yeah. yeah. So we impact the population in a half mile stretch. Mm-hmm that can be far more readily repopulated than the muskies and walleyes that were swimming out of big creek yeah right yeah so so i i'm not justifying referencing the fact that due to the connectivity uh fish in a single hole maybe are transient fish yes they're not just staying put that uh, yes and no yes and no because we flatheads like hurry up and wait like that's yep. that's basically their progression of travel my understanding of it anyway they have seasonal movements mm-hmm. and they hurry up and get to where they're going and then they're there for a little while then then they hurry up and get where they're going then they're there for a little while and then they repeat the process based on what they're doing at different times of year right and it's we we've done we've done radio tracking studies and radio tracking studies of of catfish have been done numerous places mm-hmm. so there are there are fish that that hundred yard stretch of river that's where they that's live. home that that yeah. is it yep that is as long it. as they got deep enough water to winter right and enough forage and, and yeah. then there's others that are in the mississippi river and they will swim up the iowa river till they hit that dam in, in iowa city and they'll mm-hmm. say mm, no good come back down find the english river and swim 
all the way almost to Montezuma. And maybe do it every year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And then you see the same thing in reservoirs, like stretches. Yes. Reservoirs as part of them instead of going to a big river, then they go to the reservoir. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's, and, and, and so I'm going to say it's really challenging to prescriptively change regulation for one small area when this connectivity could change that whole dynamic. But if the connectivity is prevalent in every system, there's only one system I can think of off the top of my head that doesn't have either a large river where fish migrate in and out of up this river or a large reservoir where fish migrate in and out of. And you just, because it's all similar, wouldn't that lend itself to the possibility that a single regulation could be effective on all of them? Because our current regulations, in, based on what I think and what you said earlier, lends itself to it as well. The fact that, okay, you can catch 15 100-pounders per person, but you never will, doesn't that essentially mean our fish are unregulated? Not unregulated. I mean, I mean, there is a regulation, but it's right. so impr- impractical that it's not even a real regulation. It's It's for more cleaner size channel cat you can only keep 15 cleaner size channel cat but we just talked you know about how I mean? channels and flatheads are so drastically yes. different that yes it's once again not a practical regulation if if we consider if we consider that to be a, a flathead only regulation it is impractical I'll, i will i will go down that path mm-hmm. with you yeah. yeah i i don't disagree and i and there certainly have been internal discussions that that maybe we should make it a one over a certain size for the flatheads mm-hmm. as 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 part of that those yeah. discussions have have happened yeah they haven't happened with the regularity that you know that it's it's impending or anything like that but it is certainly something that's been thought about and just to clear the air i'm not implying that there needs to be a regulation because i don't know and right. the, yeah and the the the, the data like what does the data even mean? Like the the study done by Greg Jelwicks, yep. uh, it was determined that flatheads were an underutilized resource. They but, are, no but, question. But what determines that? Like, what is the number? Whatever numbers you're looking at, what number do you, numbers do you see where you're like, well, that indicates they are underutilized. Well, that's so uh, to to that point. That gets to the age and growth. Mm-hmm. That gets to natural mortality versus harvest, mm-hmm. and and in in talk about you know sustainable populations and carrying capacity and so on. So the carrying capacity of that particular species could handle more harvest than is occurring right now across the multiple basins mm-hmm. yeah. in the state. So there there certainly could be more harvest than what is occurring right now and gotcha. those populations could continue to flourish at the level that they are with a greater degree of harvest based on what we see as um, the amount of harvest taking place by anglers, what Mm -hmm. we've seen in our creel surveys and and have been reported to us, and what we see in the growth and mortality of those fish. And these are on systems that are connected. That's what the study was on, right? It was a statewide study. It wasn't strictly on waterways that were connected to larger waterways like so say the stretch of the Des Moines River below Ottumwa to the Mississippi or the Iowa River to the Mississippi or Oh no, these we were doing work above. Like so we were over 
we were on the Raccoon River down at Adel. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. is that connected to Red Rock? Certainly it is, mm-hmm. but it's a long ways from you know Puckerbrush access well, down to. I know, depending Rock. on the time of year, the fish in a certain location, like if it's pre-spawn or close to spawning, their locations are going to change quite Absolutely. a bit versus yep. August September. Uh oh, is that the? That's your alarm. That's the 210. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again. That's fine. I have so many questions. Yes. So many this more is, questions. Yes. This was so informative. It really was. It was awesome. It really was. Um, this isn't the end of the podcast because we'll keep going, but uh, it's the end with Jeff. So thank you a ton for yes, being on here. Yes, I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I, we talk I love you. doing this. Good, I, I'm, I'm happy yes. to do this anytime. You guys, you can you can go till everybody's tired of listening to me. That's perfectly fine. I don't care. I'm, awesome. Because I, I do a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this regulations. Now I'm not, I'm not the regulations expert. You know, if you really well, yeah. want to dive deep with You're the data some of that, expert. yeah, I I should know but where you, most of the fish are. So the the main reason I wanted you on here, well, there's lots of reasons, and not, I guess not even the main reason to well, find so, out where all the fish are. So many yeah. main <laughs> reasons. What I just wanted to dive into the the thinking behind some of these yeah. because you yeah. know way more than I do. You know way more than... About a really small universe of things. <laughs> well, if, if you yeah. want to put yourself... Like, if, if I am here, you're, wherever you want to put yourself, you're still, your knowledge is still somewhere above where I'm at. And, Only... And everybody who's listening. So everybody, I'm sure, has learned something, and that's yes. the number one thing. Like, the whys. The why is the most important thing. The, everybody knows the what. It's obvious. It's apparent. It's put out there, but... Why are these regulations the way yep. they are? Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and and managing a fishery, managing a fish population is so radically different than catching a fish. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it's it. Yeah. Th- yeah. We didn't even get into that, like angler right. productivity versus system productivity. Yep. Like. Yep. Yep. And well, and we you're, you're talking about hundred pound fish. We don't manage for the most part. For individual fish, we manage populations, right. and then what happens with an individual fish that gets to be state record size? That is like way different. Now we're managing some like largemouth populations that we want to see. You know, trophy fisheries. We've done that. Our our overall musky management is is trophy. for a trophy fishery, yeah. yes, kind of thing. Yeah, should should flatheads be managed differently so that that becomes a trophy fishery? That's a really it's a really interesting question. That's a really mm-hmm. worthwhile topic of conversation. And in the last ten years, it's kind of moved more towards that. They're well, just not really a well, catfish are, anymore. Are waterways even conducive for it? You know, can yeah. are you just pissing into the wind trying to grow these big catfish that aren't going to grow? Like, yeah. and exactly, what is the capacity of system? There's, there's a paper that I I sent him about some stuff going on with walleyes, and you look at at this huge breadth of walleye lakes in Wisconsin, and they only have so much capacity and then it's those internal drivers within a particular system that drives whether the walleye population is going to be exceptional or marginal and you know so we can stock the heck out of walleyes in a variety of systems in the state of iowa and some of them are going to do really well and some of them aren't going to be worth a hoot you know every system is different to a degree so that in that regard, in their capacity for, you know, what's the habitat in that system? So, yeah, and, and you could use that argument to say, well, there should be a st- different regulation on this one versus that one. But in the bigger picture, they're all really productive, and we want people to be able to go fit, 
catch fish mm-hmm. yeah. and you know and and if they want to take fish home then then do it because we you know they're safe and healthy yeah and the amount of variables is just astounding when yeah. you start thinking about that i mean yeah. there's it's mother nature you know it's more mm-hmm. outstanding is what you can do with stats <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> that is true like you, it seems like there's so many variables and there are yeah but you can you can you know what the saying is i know lots of them but i want to hear this one there's lies there's damn lies and there's statistics <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Just let us know when you want to come back on. Oh. You're welcome anytime. Oh, thank we'll you. We'll work around your schedule. Let's talk about your uh, trip down to Tennessee. Oh, well, the first day, well, first off, I was trying not to get jacked, and I did did it so well that, I well, and it might have been the lack of sleep that got <laughs> to me, but I was basically a zombie the whole time. That had no emotion, even less than normal. <laughs> but um, we went out striper fishing the first day. Yeah, because the conditions were horrible. And no, the first day first the day conditions day were, were really nice. Well, actually, we got our weather ass backwards. We should have went catfishing the first day and striper fishing the second day because we could uh, hide from the wind a little bit better on the striper fishing. Like yeah. it's a little bit smaller body of water. But we didn't. We weren't that smart. <laughs> You live, you learn. Yeah. But, well, and on paper, I just figured an unseasonably warm day, nice weather would be good for the stripers, like it's generally good for the catfish, but apparently it wasn't. Huh. Anyway, we, there's so many cool parts to it, but the day went, we had eight short strikes where the fish, where striper went after it and wouldn't completely take the bait. Yeah. Had that musky, the... 40 to 50, prob- probably way closer That's to 50 cool. yeah. inch musky eat a skipjack and then... On a planer board. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of addicted now. I just yeah. feel a stronger desire to fish waterways like that all the time because it's so cool. I mean, you're dragging a 20 inch live bait behind you, 20 to 24 inch live bait behind you. Holy crap. Behind this planer board and then... Th- a fish big enough to eat it comes up and chases it and it starts darting all over the place and jumps out of the freaking water. Your bait does? The, the bait <laughs> jumps out of the water to get away from the striper. You're like, it's about to go down. Right. And, and it never did. So yeah. thank God, like I was being chill because I would have been asleep by two o'clock, you know, with all the excitement that could have <laughs> been there. Drilling dumps. Oh man. But yeah, well, that, the lack of sleep, we, we got in, we flew in and, I think we got, I didn't get to sleep until like 1230. And then I had to be on the road at four, yeah, 430 to to meet Mark at the ramp. So you're up at 330 to get everything right. Right. Yeah. right. Like I had no, running on no sleep, just pure caffeine. <laughs> That's right. Coffee and, and monsters. But it was so cool. Like I, I'm going, to, I was thinking about doing a walleye tour next spring. I'm thinking I'm going to have to go striper fishing. Yeah. I think I I'd, hear I'd, Woody we'll, like crushing one of his toys out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Get him, Woodrow. Anyway, but that striper tour would be a lot more condensed than your walleye tour. You no, wouldn't have to travel that far, would you? Yeah, I Just mean Oklahoma and Texas and Tennessee. I wouldn't go to Texas. No, no, I'd go to Oklahoma and Tennessee, or maybe just Tennessee. But the walleye trip would be way closer. Everything would be within five six hours. Yeah. 
you know, you can get on some. But that's if you're living here, right? You're still thinking about going down. Isn't that the basis of your trip? Yeah, our basis. Go look at a place. I'm probably going to end up being here. We won't get, oh, in, we okay. won't get too much into okay. that. But uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll be here next spring. Well, I won't hate that. <laughs> I won't hate that at There's all. a lot of positives <laughs> from sticking around. So yeah. it's not the end of the world. And then oh, yeah. trips are still fun. They're not as fun now that gas is like $12 a gallon yeah. or whatever. But It's ridiculous. But uh, I'm just fortunate that I can still make it work currently. Yes. Hopefully it still goes that way. Yeah. But, but that was striper fishing. We didn't actually... It was like the most fun you could have and not catch anything. Yeah. Yeah. So You got almost the anticipation and then just didn't pan out. Yeah, and it's fine. Yeah. You know? And I got to put eyes on them. You know, like yeah. the water was clear enough. You could... lots A couple times you could see the fish. That's crazy. Chasing them down. And, Our creeks right now are so clear. At least... Where I was bait they're, fishing. They're always clear unless but you get a big so rain. Clear. Yeah. I mean, like I, I could see the creek chubs probably, you know, the big balls of them probably 150 yards away. Makes it easier to catch them. Yeah. But <laughs> they spook a lot easier too. That's true. That's true. You just got to cast from further away and let it drift down to them. But yeah, I've been impressed with. Yeah. That's all that matters. You got I, I probably caught. 70 in the two trips 70 or 80 in the two trips i went but i just kept the bigger bait sized ones it's funny but, I, I drove around for an hour and a half and couldn't find one the other day really yeah i uh every bridge i stopped at i caught at least one okay yeah so at least they showed up this, yeah this was two or three weeks ago yeah after that first big rain all the spots that had them they just got washed out i think yeah they, they were just gone like yeah. the water was clear and you could see all the way down and there's nothing. Yeah, our our more productive spots were the smaller creeks mm. that okay. still had some calm water in it. Good to know. Yep. Day two, Tennessee, though, got a, started after the storm rolled through, and we got there early enough for the second storm to roll through when we were on the water. <laughs> but uh, Jump the gun a little bit. Yeah. Well, I was anxious. I, I, not anxious, but just excited to get out there. Um, I'd finally got a little bit of sleep. So that yeah. was good. And charged batteries a little bit. Once we got set up though, um actually effectively once the wind had died down just enough, like it we you can you can fish fairly effectively when the water or the wind's going twenty miles an hour. Well, it's choppy and when it's thirty five to forty five, <laughs> like that makes it a lot takes of, a lot of the fun out of it. Right. So yeah. once that chilled out to manageable levels then we just started catching flatheads that's awesome like our first spot and i mean this is one of the reasons i bitch about circle hooks like we missed two fish maybe three i yeah. think three fish that if we would have had if you could have loaded them up yourself by yeah. setting the hook yeah then i think you'd have got them but then if it would have been a blue cat that hit we probably would miss the blue cat so i'll take that trade any day yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there's something to it, too, though, like how the rod loads and having the right rod. And if you're using mono versus braid, the rod you need is going to be different. Yes. And I think there's just a lot of different factors. That a lot play of variables that need tested. That once you get them dialed in, and that's what I'm working on. I really, yeah. We're fishing circle hooks tonight. You didn't realize that, but now you ah. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to be testing variables. Hey, we're, we're innovating. In, we are in the we name are. of uh, Spencer can't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> I love missing fish. That's what yeah, I do. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I don't get pissed at all. Oh, it <laughs> oh hurts, wait, it hurts so much more up here too. Because we missed 
we missed that one. And I'm like, oh, dang. And then four minutes later. <laughs> Another rod loads yeah, up. 53 pounders <laughs> on the line. So it's like, oh, screw that other fish. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Up here, we get to think about that all night, a lot of times. Yeah. That yeah. one. Until you get to go again. Yeah. Because you only had one bite. That one right about dark if you shank that one those are the worst ones yeah. and then you don't get another bite yeah for all night yeah. yeah this is the time of year where that happens a lot yeah like when they're just waking up that sunset bite is like so important especially right now it's been you know mid 80s to upper 80s for the last three or four days so my theory on that because i was thinking the water temp has went up i don't know what it is today i was on the water two days ago and then i was on the water a week prior to that and the water temp had came up 24 degrees in a week holy went from 48 to 72 on one of our larger rivers so that's crazy imagine what the smaller ones are like they probably came up more wow i wouldn't have never guessed that they probably were lower too so it's probably like a 30 to 35 degree swing in a week i i wouldn't have thought it was over 60 even after this week. Dude, I got sleeted and snowed on on a guide trip two weeks ago. <laughs> and then when I walked outside last night, I was like, it feels like July. Yeah. Just sweating. Yeah. I turned the air on for about two hours last night just to get the heat out of the house. I turned on the air just because you guys were showing up. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I went to bed. And it was 78 in the house when I went to bed last night. Yeah. It was 82 in mine. And I kicked it on and brought her down to 75 and then shut her down. Yeah. That's solid. But when I didn't realize the air was on, the first time it kicked on, I started hearing it in my headphones. Yeah. And I thought it was your computer. That's why I set the computer. Oh, really? You thought yeah. it was going to explode? No, I just thought that it was feeding over the mics, yeah. that sound. I thought maybe your fan on I'm your trying computer trying to be courteous, and I'm just ruining my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Can't win them all. Well, yeah. I've never been built on comfort, that's for sure. And that's probably one of the reasons we get along. <laughs> we both like bush light. It's like, this sucks. Let's do it again. <laughs> see if it changes. <laughs> we're going to do the exact same thing, but one thing different and see if it makes a difference. That's right. And our one thing different, we're going to add Woody on this trip. Yeah. Woody's coming along. He's probably not on camera. Woody, come here. Woodrow. Come here. You don't know this yet, but <laughs> you're going fishing all night in the boat, bud. This is one of the best days of your life. I don't think he, he has not fished all night in the boat. No. I'm going to have to remember to let him off the boat to take a piss at some point in time. Yeah. Because he will, it's funny, we'll go to somebody else's house, and he'll piss everywhere. <laughs> he sits in my boat, he will not pee in the boat. <laughs> as soon as you let him off, he, he takes a leak. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I did not teach him that. It's so bad that I'm going to get him a pee sock. Yeah. I'm not sure what a pee sock is for right, a dog. You put it on, and it covers his wiener. And keep some pee. Really? Yeah. I didn't know such a thing existed, but I was educated the other day. Huh. And I'm like, that might be a good thing for him. <laughs> Woodrow's getting a pee sock. Yeah, he doesn't pee in our house, but you take him somewhere else, he's going to pee. Really? Yep. When he was a puppy, he used to take a big dump. Huh. Like, he'd show up 10 minutes at the house. He'd put a big, <laughs> big loaf on the floor. <laughs> Is it funny you quit getting invited places? <laughs> you know... <laughs> I haven't put that together till this very moment, but there might be some truth to that. We'll blame it on Woody. We all know it's your company, but... It's okay. It's okay, Woody. You don't have to take that. <laughs> no, but that, went, that second day in Tennessee, we caught four flatheads and a blue and then missed three other ones. Jeez. And 
your biggest was what 53 something like that something and that other the second biggest was not far off yeah it was high 40s at least i would say that would be my guess 45 to 50 yeah we'd already hung one on scale i didn't well we hung him on a scale at a net but yeah i don't know i he wasn't as big and it was fine he was close he was close (laughs) he was he was was cooler it was cooler that he was out of a hundred and i think it was 108 feet of water and I literally asked Mark before that. I said, "Do you, do you ever see flatheads get flatheads in water this deep?" He's like, "I don't know. I this is the only second time I've ever fished down here." Really? In twenty minutes after that, I can't believe that. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen a flathead come out of eighty-six before that. Yeah, down down south, but huh. but never down you know. south in the Raccoon River. Yeah, <laughs> eighty-six foot deep. Yeah. <laughs> You mean eight or six? Eight, eight, eight or six. Maybe even <laughs> 8.6. <laughs> Although, I haven't checked the rev- levels on that today. but uh, It's moving been, pretty good. There's been a lot of, uh, on the bigger river, there's been a lot of, uh, pretty much every hole's 10 to 15 feet deep right now. Yeah. And then there's some 20 to 30 foot water with the water level the way it is. I heard a rumor yesterday that Butch, you know Butch? Mm-hmm. Caught a high 40s, low 50s at his place last week. Yeah, probably, they probably spent the winter there. Yeah. Probably out of that log jam that's usually three foot deep. No, there's some there's some 10 to 15 foot water. There. No, I mean, uh, that's probably where he caught him, though. Oh, maybe, yeah, because he's probably sitting in that deep stuff now. He might yeah. be. That's good, though. That's encouraging. Yeah. But that's probably the one that we caught two years ago that was low 40s in that same area. Oh, two yeah. maybe three years ago and he just hasn't been able to get out of there since <laughs> so he's eating all them big old carp that are living in that area at least he's got plenty to eat over he there. does ah uh, the rivers are plummeting bud mm. yeah. that's not great well it leveled out up by your place i'm talking about for tonight's trip right it's not that bad it's not that and, good and the area that we're going is probably going to hold fish no matter what the conditions are we just need to find a couple dumb ones yeah. I even have my uh, a reminder set to order Woody's P-Sock. <laughs> Happy birthday, Woodrow. All right. Well, we're going to go fishing. You got anything else to add? No. No, I I can't wait to get Jeff back on. That was a uh, – that's more than I've learned in a long time. And it's so. funny because he sent me an email that – like I told him some of the questions prior, and that's what we were talking about to an extent. Yeah. Or I referenced that a few times. But – it, and I, I think he just can't help himself. Like I sent him the questions, then he started to elaborate on the questions and the emails. And yeah, um, I, I mean, I enjoy the information. I get a kick out of it. So I had, but what I'm getting at is, I had an idea of what he was going to be saying. Yeah, but then he expanded on it more. And you just tried to steer him into the stuff that I didn't try to s- steer him like the flathead. Well, stuff. I mean, I bring yeah. up the subject, but what I'm getting at is just the the depth of knowledge was even more so than what I had what he what shared with me before yes. yeah. yeah and you know we have him on a couple of times we'll get through the knowledge and start learning about him like an as out of, as an outdoorsman you know mm-hmm. there's there's a whole nother side that we haven't touched yet which he's full of knowledge but you know let's he's, find out about his he's full-time dad right now yeah well yeah. that's not a bad job either it should be priority number yeah, one. yeah that's not a bad job Cool. Well, all right. Well, let's go fishing. Let's try to maybe mushroom hunt a little bit first because it's early. Okay. Maybe uh, 
Because I should put pants on. Because in the spot where we're going, it's public on both sides. Oh yeah. So we see a mushroom tree, we'll just pull over quick and uh, go hunt. Okay, fine. All right. All right, thanks for taking the time to listen. If you want to support the podcast, get you some badass sunglasses, Waterland sunglasses, promo code RC15, uh, Bigfoot Bushcraft, Bushcraft Fire Starters, promo code, I think, Spencer Bauer. I think it's Spencer Bauer. Spencer Bauer, B-A-U-E-R is Bauer. <laughs> Not the other infinite ways to uh, spell yes. that. And then uh, leave a review on iTunes. That might be the most beneficial thing because yeah. that helps promote the pro- podcast and spread it around. And if you do none of those things, that's cool too. Yeah, yeah. Just, just shoot us some emails. Let us know what you want to, what you think, what do you want to talk about. Some you feedback know. on what you heard today. I'd be really interested to hear what you all think of all that. that yeah, some of the dissect some of the information and let us know what it means to you. Yeah, we hear it in the moment and it feels fast paced. You guys get to. The, you know, really think through that information and probably think things that me and Ryan wouldn't have considered. So your yeah. feedback is, you know, super helpful, super appreciated, and honestly leads to more questions to ask in the future. And that's one of my favorite things about actually editing now that I kind of took over that role is I get to Thank dissect God. it a little <laughs> bit more, you know? Yeah. You kind of relive the moments and then a lot of questions and, and comments come back and you mm-hmm. You can actually think about it a little bit. And reminisce. <laughs> well, at least try to dissect the information that's in there. And ignore what I say. Yeah, <laughs> at all costs. All right, th- <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks, hope, guys. Hope you catch a giant. Vote now in Waypoint TV's 2023 Series Showdown. Your favorite hunting and fishing shows are going head-to-head. Visit waypointtv.com to vote and be entered to win a giveaway from Element Outdoors. Cast your votes during each round until the champions are crowned. Get in the game and vote in the Series Showdown. Presented by Expedition Enterprises and Vote Trader. Only at waypointtv.com. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.